everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful guest on today. I know that I say that every time, and I mean it every time, but this time I really mean it. <laughs> Our guest today is fantastic. We have Renee Stillman on. How are you today, Renee? Oh my gosh, I am so great. The sun is out. Actually, the clouds are out right now, but it is. <laughs> I am in sunny Arizona, and you cannot oh. help but be happy when the sky is blue and the sun is shining. So, Oh, well, we're very jealous of that because Landon and I are in Utah and there's not a ray of sunshine to be seen. I can't even say it. It's so non-existent. It's snowing <laughs> oh actually today. So. It's snowing oh. and slushing. That's right. We're all pasty and pale and just waiting for spring. So. That's right. So Renee Perfect. and I met each other in an interesting way. She just contacted me out of the blue um, to be on her, her amazing podcast, which is called She Became Visible. And so we had a couple conversations and I got to go on her incredible show and talk. It was just such a highlight and really fun. And I got so much good feedback. And so I thought, okay, turnabout, we want Renee on our show. <laughs> and so she was yay, very gracious and said that she would come on too. So um, she sent me some, you know, some bio information and it's just so good. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to hit a couple highlights and then we'll just talk to Renee and get to know her. So Renee is a professional motivational speaker, which I'm sure you couldn't guess by already what she said. She's just incredible. Um, she runs the Steelman um, Family Foundation, and she's also a published author of a book called Heaven Sent and Bent. Um, I'm just trying to pull out highlights here. She's also an award-winning interior designer. She's doing it all. <laughs> wow. I, I want to meet this person. No, <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like that. I feel like that. That's well, one of the things I love about resumes is you read through them and you're going, it's okay. Yeah. Points. That's right. And there was one thing on it that Landon might be particularly interested in. Yeah. You left out that she rides Harleys uh, oh. and she's got a, she's got a really awesome tattoo as well. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of them then it looks like. Yeah. There and it, it was is. all, the, it was the Harleys fault. My mother walked into my house for she hadn't been to our new home in Arizona. And she walked in, she said, what's with all the skulls? And I said, well, it was a Harley thing. And that's kind of what started it. So once you get started, you got, you got to, you got to follow through with the lifestyle. That's for sure. Exactly. Lifestyle. Exactly. No. And we, we landed and I noticed tattoos now because we also run the good book club, which is a reading group for post and nuance Mormons. And we often have little bonus events that we call lazy learners. We just had one. It was called tattoos for dummies because ah. that is something that a lot of post Mormons have no, they might want one. But it's terrifying, right? So we had this wonderful post-Mormon tattoo artist come in and she just told us everything, you know, from nuts to bolts about how to get a tattoo and what to do and what to expect. So now we're on the lookout. We're kind of like, oh, those are what oh, that's nice. I can see. Yeah, yeah. It was really yeah. interesting because you know, there's a lot of things on the other side of Mormonism that, you know, like a normal adult, you don't know how to do. So <laughs> oh my gosh, isn't that the truth? It is adolescence all over again. Yeah, yeah. It is adolescence, but you're an adult. Like, like, you know, how do you order coffee? Things like that. So yeah, we try to have right. these bonus events, which are really fun. So anyway, so, so let's, uh, let's just get to know you a little bit. Why don't you start with kind of where you were raised and your story and your life and let's just delve right in. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, I love, I love that I can tell you that I was raised in corn country. I love that I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in a small town just south of Chicago, and I literally had a cornfield next to our house that I would run through because there was a forest kind of in the middle of this cornfield. So I could run through and go play in the forest. And and it was, I mean, it was every stereotypical childhood that you could think of. My grandmother, uh, you know, was the best fried chicken, potato salad, uh, raisin carrot salad, you know, everything. It was, she was the, the best cook. She was a plump, happy lady that my, all my cousins, we would all go and, and all, all uh, festivities were held in her tiny little two bedroom apartment. How, and I know that now as an adult, it's like, you have a very large home wiring grandma's apartment, right. but there's something about going back to mom and dad's. Yep. But my parents uh, were divorced when I was seven. My mother, uh, very, very strategically found someone else and then got divorced and then married this amazing man. And um, I'm glad she did. Um, and when I was 12, the missionaries came knocking at the door 
And my mother's oldest sister was a member of the church. So she was not afraid to invite these these uh, young boys in. And uh, it kind of went okay. But then there were a couple of sister missionaries that took over and they were fully embraced. And so uh, my, my stepfather, my mother, and my older brother and I were baptized. Um, my older brother was 15 at the time. He very quickly went to live with my biological father. <laughs> he was one of those things where I, I'm not doing this religion. You guys are crazy. So he went to live with my, my uh, father. Uh, but I thought that the missionary that baptized me was so cute. So I was all in. I mean, that was all it took. Uh, Joseph Smith, who I don't know, but Elder yes. Smith is so cute. You know, I feel like a lot of people join for that reason, you know, and then the missionaries are gone and you're sitting in the ward going, wait, what happened? I, I'm confused because <laughs> I, I didn't baptize any any girls. So. Oh, well, <laughs> you were yeah. a late bloomer, Landon, and that's okay. Yeah. So. Exactly. But so I wasn't, I mean, I remember one of the first things I had to do in order, because I was 12, in order to graduate from primary, there was a list of things I had to do. And one of them was to crochet a little purse. I had to, uh, you know, recite the articles of faith. And I had to talk about the priesthood. I had to name a general authority. This is all second language to me. I don't, you know, and I remember this bishop was like, well, if you don't know who the general authorities are, how can you say that you support them? And I'm like, I'm 12. I wish I would have said that I'm 12. I don't know, you know, uh, and trying to crochet this little purse, you know, and uh, not my thing. Anyway, no, I'm glad you I, said that, though, because a lot of people like we're of a similar age don't understand that crocheting was a huge part of being a woman when you were a Mormon. You had to to get out of primary. I had to make a pot holder. It was exactly that. And you had the banners with the articles of faith and you had yes. to paste the jewels on. Yeah, it was very different than it is today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it you was, said that about was. crocheting. Totally. And I remember my parents were very much uh, one of the most beautiful things about living in the Midwest is when it came to vacations, you're right in the middle. So it's like you want to go here, you want to go here, you want to go south, you want to go north. So we did. uh, So, of course, once they joined the church, all of our vacations were based around church historical sites. So we went to the Hill Cumorah pageant. And I literally remember, you know, listening to this loud voice, you know, whoa, 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 unto the inhabitants of the earth. And they're talking about Nephites and Lamanites. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. But regardless, that was my new environment. That was my new milieu and my new people. And uh, it came in handy when I had one girlfriend uh, that that I met in Sunday school when we first uh, joined the church. She became my best friend. And we were probably maybe two... Uh, three maybe LDS people in the whole high school. So she was my friend. And then my parents moved me to Washington State when I was uh, the summer between my junior and senior year. So they moved me my senior year in high school. And I knew no one, didn't care to know anyone. And my three friends were all from our ward, but they went to a different high school. But I went to seminary so that I could see them. I went to mutual so that I could be with them. And so, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about the church is you do kind of have this community, even if you move around. And uh, we all, after graduation, went in different directions. Um, Two of them went to BYU and one of them went to dental hygiene school and I joined the Navy. So (laughs) it was, you know, that's very unique. What town in Washington State? That's where I grew up, too. In Vancouver, just oh, right, that's right. on the Columbia River. Okay. okay. I, yeah. I lived my in Battleground. Lived... Uh, oh, my gosh. Yes. Where Where did you uh, serve in the Navy? What did you do in the Navy? Well, it's interesting. I uh, My mother pushed me. Her sisters were uh, waves during World War II, and her brothers were all in the Navy. And um, so that was, they were kind of like familiar with this whole thing. And I brought home a uh, pamphlet from the from the uh, post office one day uh, this summer after I graduated. And I said, you know what, I'm going to join. The, I, I need to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to join the military and go to boot camp. <laughs> and my mom was like, hmm, that's a very good idea. One less mouth to feed around here. We got to get you out of here. So she, through her kind of pushing me. Uh, you know, I kind of was uh, living my life through her lens. And so she's like, I think you should go into photography. And I'm like, okay, you know, so I went into photography, I had a, a wonderful recruiter who was honest. 
and uh, who put in my contract that I was guaranteed a school. And even though I had only enlisted for three years, I was like, I received a guaranteed school. And so I was trained in photography. And then my first uh, duty station was Yokosuka, Japan. So All right. it was, cool. it was so fun. Yeah. I was the only woman in the photo lab. And so very quickly I got put on the front desk and never touched a camera in my life. So I've, could not tell you anything about photography. I was put in my place. And <laughs> I'm actually doing a project in Yakuska, Japan right now. So uh, oh, yeah, I was going to say you oh, and Landon have a lot in common. Yeah. He was in the military and spends a lot of time in Japan, Korea. So you you have a lot in common there. Were you in the Navy, Landon? I, w- I was in the Army. So I did. Right. Yeah, I have a friend that was in the Army that's also stationed in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's it's yeah. cool to get to see all that. So yeah, a lot of lot in common there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a magic. It was so magical because coming from a small town, both Vancouver, Washington, and you know Aurora, Illinois, um, this was more than just traveling and seeing the world. It was a different culture, a different a wardrobe, different language, different smell. It was just it was the most wonderful opportunity. I I'm so glad I did it. So do and you still do photography? No, no, I I couldn't even tell you what an F-stop was because (laughs) the the A, A, B, and C school, which is a fabulous training, if you're really into photography, the Navy A, B, and C school uh, is really a a really great school, but it was all, it was very self-paced. So you would read a chapter, take a test, read a chapter, take a test, and I'm a visual learner, so I didn't retain anything, and then I never used it, so it just went out the window so i never used and now i have an iphone so you don't have to be a photographer right (laughs) it's all right there so did you attend church did you continue being active while you were living abroad and and doing all of that yeah yeah absolutely in fact i met my husband the summer that summer uh between my senior year and going active duty and i uh and you'll know this landon i signed i i joined under a program they called the cash program so i enlisted in June, but I didn't have to go active duty till January of 73. That puts me, everybody knows now. And um, and my husband, when I met him, had already put in his mission papers. And so he was due to leave in October for his mission. And I was due to leave in January for the service. So, um, so we were dating and kind of we kind of talked about marriage, but nobody actually said, you know, will you marry me and let's get married when I get back. But we kind of knew that we were going to get married. Um, so, yeah, I went to church uh, as much as I could when I was in uh, basic training and when I was going through school and I wasn't able to get there a lot. You don't have a car and you're kind of in the barracks with other. But I went as often as I could. And then when I got to Japan on base, I would go with the families that lived on base. They would give me a ride. In exchange, I would babysit constantly. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know if that was a good trade, actually, looking back. But yeah, yeah. So I was active in the branch. And then as soon as I got married and came back with my return missionary husband, he was put in the branch presidency. And so I always joke that I was I've been sitting in the pews by myself my whole life, you know. So, yeah. That's, so you you returned home to get married, and then he went with you back to where you were stationed. Is that yeah? That yeah, is because really I interesting. Had, I had thirty days, right? And I wrote him. Oh. This is, this was my proposal, my very romantic proposal. I wrote him and said, "Look, here's the deal, dude. I have thirty days. I can take thirty day leave. We can date and get to know each other again after two years, or we can get married." And we're like, "All right, let's get married." So we got married three weeks after he got home from his mission. And, and we always joke because, you know, when he first came off his mission, he's like shaking my hand and calling my, my father, you know, brother, so-and-so. And And I'm like, okay, I don't know what's happening here, but this is not the fun guy that I was dating. And, but you know, he just, he just barely gotten released from there's a transition period, I think for all. Exactly. Yeah. And he didn't really have a chance to transition. We got married three weeks after he got home from his mission. So he went back to Japan with me and he was driving taxis on base and bringing home strange people that he met in the taxi uh, for dinner, hoping that he would convert them. And I was kind of like, 
we can't, you, you can't do this. No more, no more. This is always insane. a missionary, right? It's oh, hard to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we were married in the Salt Lake temple. We've been married for 48 years. And, um, I, I always say, you know, I don't think I necessarily had a broken shelf to leave the church, to resign my membership, because I'd always kind of just looked at things, rolled my eyes. I remember there was a time probably about five years ago when I was, when they would go through the curriculum, you know, how in Sunday school, you do the book of Mormon, Old Testament, New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants. And I'm like, not doing Doctrine and Covenants. It's something creepy about it. I don't like it. It seems dishonest to me. It's very one-sided, but I was just like, but that's me. That's my problem. I don't care. I'm just not going to do it. Um, and there were other things going through the temple, you know, raising my, you know, I just kind of roll my eyes and go, this is such, but I never questioned whether I would not be a member anymore. It was just kind of like, so silly. I can't believe this. And the patriarchy was just kind of my generation is probably the last generation where we kind of went, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Um, so I didn't really crash until I read Greg Prince's book. On uh, the David O. McKay biography. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Because that's not an anti-Mormon book you can get no. in the, at the bookstore. But Ezra Taft Benson was my husband's mission president. His mission president was um, um, Mark Benson. And we had met Ezra Taft Benson. I didn't like Ezra Taft Benson when he was a prophet. I remember going to some of the, you know, conferences and things. And I'd go, I don't, you, I don't like you. You know, you're very very patriarchal, you know? And um, so when I read the book and I saw how he acted and what da- how David O. McKay tried to wrangle him in, yes. how he was sent to Germany to yep. shut up, yep. talking about the John Birch Society. Yep. And I just kind of saw these people as men in a corporation. And yep. so that started me down the rabbit hole. And then I read House of Females about the, you know, polygamists in Utah. I started reading uh, more things. And then when I found out about the hat, <laughs> stone in the hat, I, that like, was that's probably it. like, what? Yeah. So to me, it's like, that's the first lie. What else haven't I been told? You know, Book of Mormon stories. I taught that to my kids. We sang all the songs. We're, yeah. you know, if you want to study a Mormon, we're a living specimen. And, you know, I was fully in on all that unique glory of being an elite person that belonged to the true and only church on the earth. And so, but when I started hearing it and reading the breakdown, I was like, I'm out of here. And I, I make decisions quickly. I'm not a long, you know, deliberator. I definitely do make decisions quickly. Um, And so once I found out and I was like, I'm not going to belong to this church. I can't, I can't uphold this. I can't support this. And so I resigned three years ago. Wow. That it's so interesting to hear you say that because I always say I was Pimo since birth. I always knew there was something not right, but as a woman in that era, a young woman in the 70s and 80s, I always say, I never knew I could do anything different. So I just kind of heard you say that. You're like, whatever. And you're just kind of around it, but you're not really buying it. But you never understand that you literally could take some control and just leave, you know? And I have to say it took me till I was like, woke up one morning at age 55 and went, you are a grown ass woman. You can do whatever you want. So, and it's very generational because I think women, men today are just like, Oh, I'm I'm not going to do it. So I I love to hear you talk yeah. about that because it's hard for me even to reconcile to myself. Why did I I never was quite on board and always knew there was something wrong, like what you're saying. Why didn't I ever do anything about it? And and it's hard. Yeah. You're just very used to accepting the patriarchy. You're just very used to going through the motions and doing what everyone else wants you to do. So, wow, exactly. that is so interesting. So tell us tell us that you have a big family, a big awesome family. Tell us about your family and how that impacted them, or were some of them already out? Or I mean, those details are so interesting. Yeah, and I I do believe that my story is unique from the standpoint that um, uh, my brother was excommunicated from the church because he was living with his girlfriend in California. Um, He was never active in the first place. So he was not a member. My uh, biological father has passed away. My stepfather has passed away. And I don't have a good relationship with my mother. 
Um, so I didn't have those family binds to keep me in, to be a PMO, as you said. Right. Um, and so I didn't have that pressure. I also, we have six children. We have four boys and two girls. And um, my three boys had left the church from the time they left home. Once they left home, they left church. And um, my one daughter was in the process of kind of leaving. Uh, she was going through some gospel principle problems as well. Uh, kind of, again, I think she turned 40 and kind of went, wait, what? You know, <laughs> and so she was kind of, and she hasn't resigned her membership or anything. She's just like, I'm not, I'm not going anymore. Um, and then I have another daughter who served a mission. She has four children. She's very active, um, but she's very nuanced. And she recognizes all of the, um, you know, items that are kind of iffy. And, and she recognizes that. But it's a very good environment for her and her four children. And I think it is a great environment to raise children as long as you can just keep that doctrine straightened out, you know. Um, but I did have, it's funny because my second son he actually said to me this last Thanksgiving, he said, you know, I was really mad when you left the church because it's like you made, you know, you didn't make us go to church, but we just knew we had to go. And you, and we did make him go to BYU and he wasn't happy about that. So it was like, we forced this church on them. And then I just wake up one day and go, Oh, never mind. You guys don't have to do that anymore. And he resented that. And I had never thought about that, but I thought, you know, you have every right to. You know, so that was interesting. But yes, we have six children um, and 14 grandchildren, which is amazing. Seven girls and seven boys, which I appreciate them evening things out. Good job, kids. Yeah. So, But our youngest son, um, I have to say our youngest son was born, had a very difficult birth and uh, had some lack of oxygen, which resulted in brain damage. And he was diagnosed uh, with cerebral palsy when he was eight months old. And so he was living with us up until this last Christmas, he passed away. And uh, that's been uh, when you've raised children for 46 years and, and packed a diaper bag, even though he was 37 when he passed away, I was still in diaper bag, babysitter, uh, almost car seat type mode up until, you know, he was in a wheelchair, but it was the same uh, concept of putting him in the car as a child. And so um, now that he's gone, my husband and I both kind of wake up and go, and there's, there's that muscle memory yeah. where you wake up and go, Oh, I got, I, I got to go get yeah. you know, TJ up. Oh, I got to go get him dressed. And Oh, what time is the caregiver coming and this kind of yeah. thing. And all of a sudden you go, Oh, wait, it's different. That's, different. So it's we're different. empty nesters for the first time in 47 <laughs> years. Yeah. And you wrote a book, you wrote a book about, um, let me see the title is heaven sent and bent sort oh, of, about, yeah. and there it is. And yeah. I wish I would have grabbed a copy before I thought, dang, I usually have people's books. So everyone go out and get this book, but it is kind of about families that are different or that have maybe special circumstances and, and how to thrive in that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Cause I was reading some reviews today. It, it sounds amazing. Well, thank you. It's, you know, it, it's the first book I've ever written and I, and I'll, I have to tell you that uh, my editor was very, very uh, perceptive. And she kept saying, who's your audience? Who's your audience? And I think she could tell that I was very much trying to gear this book towards the LDS audience. I was hoping that it would get published by Deseret or Cedar Fork, you know. And um, so I very much, I quoted DNC, I quoted the Book of Mormon. I very much wrapped this book in a, pro LDS family type of scenario. And I think that my editor could see through that. And so I look on it now and I go, I, I know I was inauthentic when I was writing it. And I feel like she could see that. Um, but it's a positive book from the standpoint that, um, you know, the name Heaven Sent and Bent, I, I, I kind of picked that up because, you know, light doesn't have any color until it hits some kind of a prism or something that bends the light. The light has to be bent before you see the color. And so I think that's a, a good metaphor for life that everything's not just black and white. It's not either the absence of color or, or saturated with color. 
it's all of the rainbow that comes when our life is just kind of bent and turned and we have to go through all of these um, circles and squares and angles in order to really appreciate it. So that's where the name came from. Um, and I just, one of my favorite chapters in the book though, which I, I did feel was very authentic, was the reality of having kids with issues that you get calls from the school you know, so-and-so beat up so-and-so, or, you know, they're not turning in their homework. And as a mother, you're just like, ah, you know. Um, so there's a chapter in there about going in for the, you know, this counts teachers conference and the teachers saying, you know, um, did you know, did you, did you see that this, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, he, he, he just can't sit still. I mean, well, well I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know that I got it. You know, he has an IEP. I don't know if you noticed or not. But so, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, so it's just a simple book. It's not very big at all. But it, it really was trying to be positive about having these little trials that we all have in life. What, what so. led to you writing the book? You just did decide to do it on your own? Did someone ask you to write it? Oh, heavens no. Um, yeah, I really wanted to put down you know, how, what it felt like to have a severely disabled child and just simple things like having a kid with ADD that, like I said, won't come in from the playground. I mean, I remember when, uh, golly, let me think now, I think it was my fifth child was born and I had, I was just getting home from the hospital with him and I get a call from the school and they said, you know, Mrs. Steelman, um, your son is out on the playground and he won't come in. And I'm like, go get him. I, I don't understand what the problem is, you know, just go pick him up, grab him by the collar and say, you know, get your rear end in the classroom. But they're like, well, we can't do that. My husband had to take off work, go to the school and get him. And I'm just like, what is happening? You know, so I think it was just I, I would love to be a writer. I also suffer with ADD. <laughs> and so I it, it took in fact, I'm thinking about calling my editor again. It took her to say to me, I'm going to call you next Thursday. I want the next chapter. I need the next chapter. I need the next chapter. If I'm not on a deadline, I've got all the time in the world in my head. Um, but I do love writing and I just wanted to kind of record. We just had three little grandkids. And so my life was taking a different chapter and I just wanted to get it down. So the book came out, when did you write it? Uh, um, I think the I book came out in two. 2012, 13, That's what I was thinking. It was maybe somewhere. like 10 years ago-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems yeah. like you always have a project. I mean, and and like I said, how I'm is on her ADD, her amazing yeah. podcast. So you've got to tell us how you came up with the idea for that, how you started that. And it is, it's a woman-led, woman-guest scenario, Landon. So unfortunately, I doubt you could ever be no. on. Even <laughs> I'm really having a hard time with my with my determination to make this right. a, a women's only because there's so many, right. uh, you know, I might bend my rules a little bit because there's so many people I want to have on and, right. and, uh, but I really want to honor women's voices. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying very hard to stay, but I just, I think with my resignation of the church and really somehow now feeling as though I could stand up and be my own person Um it really motivated me to talk to other women who have gone through something. It doesn't have to be leaving a fundamental religion, uh, uh, maybe going through a divorce, maybe just going back to college or something like that. You know, um, I talked to a lot of women in the very beginning that just decided to let their hair go gray. And for them, it was life changing. They had daughters that told them they couldn't come to their wedding if they didn't dye their hair or Husbands that would say, I, if you don't dye your hair, I'm leaving you. I mean, it just blew my mind. And I have a, a, a good friend that lives in, in London, and she decided to let her hair go gray. She cut it in that fabulous kind of punk style and was just walking down the street. And someone stopped her and said, have you ever thought about being a model? And she would have never been approached if it hadn't been for this gray, you know, a mohawk that she had. And so I started out with kind of that thing was what all of a sudden it's like, Hey, wait, I, I am visible. I have a purpose here. And I have to tell you, I was listening to Heather Gay, uh, her interview on Mormon today. stories today. Yeah. 
so articulate. And she mentioned becoming visible two or three times and just how leaving this church, she exactly what she said was I, I felt like I could be my real self now. And so that is the theme of, of the podcast is women who have said, Hey, I matter. And I'm a person too, not just a mother and a daughter and a sister or a wife. I'm a person. And um, so it's, I love, I love sharing these women's stories. And I, I like the title because it's not, she is visible. It's she became visible because a lot of yeah. us come from places where we were not visible for whatever reason, or yeah. didn't know that we could be visible. And suddenly Whatever the circumstance, you find yourself, you find your voice, you find your mission, your power, and you become visible. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. when you can compare yourself before to after, that's a big right. thing. So that's why I love the right. title of your podcast and, and the different Thank people that you, you talk to. Yeah, no, it's absolutely wonderful. So it's, it's, it is interesting. And I, I do, uh, once you kind of change your mindset and, and recognize that you are, a human with talents and gifts and personality and whatnot, you start reflecting back as Heather did on, on Mormon stories um, on your past life. And I remember going in for my temple recommend or going to some kind of event where I was speaking at a state conference or something. And people would come to me and say, you know, your husband is just the greatest guy. He is so amazing. And I'm like, uh, and did you like the talk? I, 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 I don't, where are we going here? You know, or yeah. I'm in there for my temple recommend. You're like, your husband is so great. And I'm like, he is. And did you want to ask me any questions? I don't know. You know, yeah, you're an extension, so just, your extension. Yes, of, you yeah. Are, yeah. You and are. your identity is yeah. his wife or their mother. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Very true. Is your husband in i guess i don't know that about your dynamic that might be interesting if you're comfortable talking about that absolutely he is in like flint he is tbm if there was a color that's where he would be he is uh he is all in he is um very dedicated like i said he is an obedient rule follower and it works for him and i tell him all the time of course it does you're a white male so it's the perfect place for you to be, you know. Um, he's served in positions of authority his entire, you know, life, adult life, uh, assistant to the president on his mission. And then I said branch presidency at age 22, uh, stake presidencies, bishoprics, you know, he's, he's, just, he's just a great guy. And he is recognized for those qualities and rewarded for them. Yeah. And so it works for him. And he... And it was not easy. It, it took a couple of marriage counseling sessions because it was a shock. It was a shock for him. And he wasn't sure, but he very quickly recognized that we didn't get, we got met, we met at a church and we have the same values and our values haven't changed. Um, and so he recognizes that we love each other, not the church that we didn't, you know, we we're, we aren't staying together because we both have the same religion. We're staying together because we love each other. And he does get frustrated because unlike Anthony Miller, yeah. I have not learned to keep quiet. When his wife said, please find someone else to talk to. I haven't quite found that person yet. Uh, <laughs> so I casually bring things up while we're driving in the car and he's captive. Uh, and he'll just like, you know, why do you always have to go there? Oh. Like, well, I just, you know, does so he listen still... to what you're saying? I mean, can you have a dialogue or is it just sort of like, I'll oh, be a sounding board? I mean, I don't know. Landon can speak to that yeah. more because he was in a mixed faith marriage for, for quite a, for a while. So he can probably yeah. relate to that more than I can. Yeah, it's definitely. I was going to ask you that when you were talking about your family was exactly that, because it is, it, it is, if you, one of you's in one of you out, it's very difficult to, especially with the kids, if they're, being raised and you're going, I don't want them to, uh, I'm okay if they believe, but I want them to know both sides and then make a decision. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Landon. And I, I, like I said, I didn't have to deal with that because our kids were grown and gone. Um, And I have no problem because my daughters, especially, and my, and my daughter-in-law they're such good mothers. 
that they they know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. So they're not they're not dyed in the wool to the extent where they're saying, "Don't you dare say anything about LGBTQ right. uh, issues with around my children," or "Don't you dare talk about polygamy with Joseph Smith around my children." They're very nuanced in that area, and so I don't have to worry about that either. But Landon, he. He really would like it if I would just stop bringing these things up, you know, uh, and I do have to find, uh, in fact, we, we just purchased a, a, a snowbird home in Utah. So Rebecca, I'm, you're going to have to just start, we're just going to have to start hanging because yeah, we're not too I far really apart. Do. This is going to be really yeah. fun. And Landon's here too. He's up North. Yeah. So we'll I was going to ask on the motorcycles. Does your husband have one as well? Yes, yes. He has a fat boy and um, uh, a deluxe. And then I have a slim. Did, did and you know I, so he didn't have to hear the discussions as you were driving <laughs> along? And, <"Rah!"> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we actually got those first. We got those first. And, and I actually got uh, my first uh, skull tattoo before I left the church. So no, we got those first. But okay. he does ride more than I do. I have to say that I... Uh, You'll find this hilarious. Have you ever been to Sturgis, Landon? No, I haven't. No, it'd be fun oh. to go. <laughs> yeah, we went uh, a couple of years ago. The first time we went, we went uh, very uh, smartly planned. We went a few days before the actual Sturgis events start. And so it was great. There was just a few people there. You could kind of ride into town. The second year we went the day it started. And honestly, I might have to go get some Reiki healing or something. It blew. It freaked me out. There were so many bikes around me and people yelling at me to turn and hurry up and, you know, parked their bikes so close to mine that I could barely get out. And I was just like, ah, you know, so it's been a while since I've been back on and uh, I have to make myself get back on and start riding again. But I just I got this thing in my head now it kind of freaked me out. So anyway, but it's fun. You got to go at least once and and see all the crazy and then go, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then go, I'll watch it from afar. Right. So do you have the full on leather outfit? I just have to ask because I could. (laughs) Of course, of course, any excuse to get leather, right? Exactly. That's what I say. (laughs) Haven't quite gotten up enough nerve to do some of the other fishnet stockings and stuff that go along with Sturgis. Yeah, you know, there's time. It takes time. And then Mervish took a turn. No no longer put clean down when you. That's right. No, we'll have to rate this episode. We're talking about fishnet stockings. Oh dear. Didn't make it to tube tops, though. We haven't dropped. Okay. Well, now now we're drawing the line, Landon. We're drawing the line. I'm sorry. So. Well, what's wonderful to me is it sounds like you and your husband just have so much fun together and so many things that you like to do. And it's so refreshing to hear we're us, that other, whatever, you know, the church in, out, we're us, you know, and some couples are lucky enough to say that others, unfortunately, it's a line in the sand. If you're not in, you're not with me. And you see that all the time. And so it's really good to hear about a couple that's just like, we love each other and we're doing all this stuff and the other is whatever, it'll work out. So yeah. That's a happy yeah, day. it's funny because he's such a, a, a orthodox believer. And yet when I say things to him, like I'll say, well, did anybody at church offer to bring you a casserole and explain about your eternal marriage that no longer exists? And he just laughs and he's like, no, you know, or I'll yeah. say, hey, did any widows come up to you at church today? Because I tell him I really prefer apple pie if they're going to bring anything over, you know, and he laughs about that. But it doesn't bother him. Like when when we did my son's celebration of life, he was so accepting of the fact that we didn't have an opening prayer. We didn't have a closing prayer. We didn't have a hymn at the beginning. We didn't have a hymn. And he was okay with that. It wasn't like, yeah, that's right. fine. And that's amazing. That's the difference. I think the the reason why we're able to make it work is he's like, I don't know, but I believe it's a great place. And I, I, I want to be here. And all that other stuff is like not important. And he loves the scriptures and. Yeah. He's okay with not really knowing if, uh, if, and besides that, I keep saying to him, well, it doesn't really matter because you can have other wives anyway. So it's fine. <laughs> if you believe that, know? that's right. Well, yeah, and it's great exactly. because you on the other side are okay with him doing what works for him. You know, and sometimes you see yeah. that in marriages where the person who is left just said, I have no respect for you anymore. I can't even look at you oh. because of what you believe. 
you're not like that. You respect where he yes. is. You understand why it works for him. And I, that sounds like that's why it works so well between you, which is really good to hear. It's really Absolutely. wonderful. I think that's, that's exactly great. right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. you brought up something that we were, uh, when we were talking about having you on and how I had talked to you before, um, these events that have happened in the last couple of months in your life are, you know, different from what a lot of people, how a lot of people spent their Christmas. <laughs> and, right, you know, right. I, we asked you if you'd be comfortable maybe talking a little bit about what happened. And then especially how you mentioned the celebration of life, because I think it's very, it's rare. You don't hear that talked about a lot. And it's a beautiful, wonderful concept, especially to post-Mormons who may now be completely navigating or rethinking, how do I think about the end of life? How do I celebrate right. or remember the end of life? So Landon and I both decided you and your experiences in the last few months literally are the perfect person to talk about this. So if you're comfortable oh, with that, you. we would just love, love to hear. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that opportunity. I, I do think that there are so many things that um, go into how you handle leaving a fundamental or, or a high demand religion or choosing another path. I mean, you may have I've heard people talk about how they spent all this money on a college degree and then they ended up going a completely different direction in their life. There's so many different things that you could be getting a lot of flack from the background noise. Um, but so I'm thinking that a lot of it has to do with personality, right? And I'm the type of person that doesn't need to know what's ahead of me uh, in order for me to progress. I don't like, for example, when I uh, lived in uh, Oregon and Washington, I used to run with a bunch of ladies and we would do Hood to Coast every year, which is a relay race that starts at Mount Hood and ends up at uh, Seaside, Oregon. And it was so fun. Well, some of the women would go and actually find out what their legs were and they would go and run. They would practice running. They'd go up to Mount Hood, practice running down, you know, and just they wanted to know what their leg was going to be and how hard it was going to be, where the hills were. And I was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know when I get there. Once I start, I can't, I can't do anything about it, right? I'm just going to have to keep going till I get to the end. And that's kind of how I look at life in general. I don't need to know the end for me to start the trail. And so the idea that I'm no longer a believing person in an afterlife or a celestial family or any of the beliefs that talk about an empty seat at the table or we won't be together as a family... Even as a true believing member, my mother would just wring her hands and talk about my older brother that wasn't going to be with us in the celestial kingdom. And I, I remember thinking, well, we might need to talk about where everybody's going to be in the first place. So I don't know if celestial kingdoms anywhere, you know, any place we're all headed anyway. But um, and I just said, Mom, don't worry about it. It's going to work itself out. I, I believe in a, a, a loving God. I just, you know. So once I wiped all of those beliefs out, I don't care. It doesn't really matter to me because I believe this is the only I'm on the I'm on the trail. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm here and I just have to keep going until it's over. And then I'll find out at the end and go, well, wow, that was tough. Or I didn't know there was a hill there or the whole thing was downhill and my quads won't work anymore, you know, or whatever. Um, and I mentioned that when uh, the way that the program went was um, we have an amazing friend uh, who sings in the Portland Opera and he has a beautiful tenor voice. And so he started the celebration of life by singing uh, Bring Him Home from Les Mis. And I knew, like I said, even before... I even considered not being a member of the church. I knew that if anything was to happen to our son, that we would have a funeral outside of the church building because I knew that music was so important to him. He not only did he have cerebral palsy, but he was cortically blind. And we really never knew where his vision was. He was nonverbal, so he couldn't speak, but he loved music. His hearing was very acute. And he loved music and we knew which kind of music he loved. And he loved the Beatles. He loved Billy Joel. He loved the Canadian tenors. He loved Broadway. Um, he loved the Dixie Chicks. He loved music <laughs> that you could hear the lyrics and that right. you could count and feel a beat. Mm -hmm. And we wanted that to be a part of his celebration. And we knew we wouldn't be able to do that in the church. Um, I also knew that I didn't want a bishop 
speaking because he had nothing to do with our life. Um, I knew that I didn't want random grandparents speaking because we lived in Oregon. My mom lived in Missouri. Uh, my fathers had all passed away and I knew there would be no sense. In, and they weren't also a part of his life. Um, so I didn't want people assigned to be there. I didn't want them to be automatically, you know, assigned to give a talk or to open and close the celebration because they didn't know him and they didn't experience him. And there were so many wonderful people that did experience him. So we had this beautiful tenor voice that sang a song in the beginning. Um, he also closed with a song. And then my husband welcomed everyone. Our five other children spoke for 15 minutes, probably total. They each talked about how what he meant to them and how he affected their life. And it was very awakening because as a mother, you guys, you guys probably will recognize this. You look at your kids as a total. And my children are very close together. They're anywhere between 18 months and two years apart, 23 months apart. And so I just looked at them collectively. Oh, yes, you're all my kids. You all experience the same thing because, you know, but of course they didn't. The oldest three were gone when he was still in elementary school. The youngest three were in elementary school with him. And so their experience in life was different than what, you know, my older three were. And I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And so when they told their story, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. You would have been nine and a half when he was born. So by the time you graduated from high school, you were 18 and, and he was still a baby. He was nine, you know. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So it was beautiful to hear their words. They were all very articulate and beautiful. Um, a lot of emotion. And then we had a DJ and we had food and we put on a dance and we partied. And so it really was a celebration of life. And we had so many people that said this was the best thing they'd ever been to because it was authentic. And I loved it. Yeah, I, I uh, worked in Idaho uh, and I was at a, in a small town. It was one of these that only had a bar that crossed as a, as a restaurant. So if I wanted to eat, I went to this bar and so I'd go to this bar and it was a cowboy bar. A lot of cowboys came in there. And uh, one day I went in and one of the uh, one of the cowboys had been killed. He was driving back from Montana or something a, and had a car crash and, and a truck. They only only yeah. riding trucks. Has to be a truck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, uh, they they took and they all had gotten together and they took his hat and they set it on the bar stool he always sat on and everybody wow. bought beers and just drank and told stories about him and I was like wow that that is people you could tell who really loved him they knew him they cared oh, about cool. him and I said wow that is so much more personal than than the ones I see in the LDS church where the bishop and stake president always get up last to give the yeah the, the, you, you'll rise again and all of that you know speech that yeah. they give so I thought it was beautiful, and it, ever since then, I'm 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 like you. I've said I I want to have something that's that's tailored to me, not tailored exactly. to the church. You know, and that's so true because he didn't have a full life. He we don't have stories of him getting married, having children. This is his profession. So the people that were there were people that remembered him from when he was in primary, or we had people from his school that came, workers and aides that worked in the resource room that helped him, that remembered him from elementary school all the way up to high school. Uh, we had young men who babysat for him. Uh, they were both 16. And so they would, uh, you know, tell stories about how they would, they and one of the other priests would come over and babysit for him on a Friday night. So my husband and I could go out and they talked about, you know, how well we take TJ out and, and we'd play basketball and We'd throw the basketball at his face and he'd laugh, you know, and fun <laughs> stories like that. You know, my my oldest, uh, my youngest son right before him, um, he told stories about because it was just the two of them at one point. Everybody else was now leaving. And so now it's just these two boys. And he said, yeah, mom, I hate to tell you, but we had this party once. And, you know, and he talked about this party he'd had at the house and how they all included him in the party. And and it was just it was so wonderful. And it just reminded me of how my dad who had passed about, I think it'll be five years ago the next week. Um, he was from England and I so wanted a bagpipe 
to play at his service, but it was held in the steakhouse. And so they let me, they let him sit outside and he could play in the foyer as people were leaving. And I was like, this would have been so great if I could have just done what I wanted to do, you know? Yeah, no, that is the problem. We've had um, extended family deaths in the last couple of years and you really do have to fight. And in many cases, they just flat out tell you no. Um, I interviewed somebody on another program where I won't name any names, but he and his brothers were part of a very well-known trumpet band. And they were, you know, all through the 80s and 70s touring. That was what they did. And they were all active LDS. When their mother passed away, they wanted to play a tribute to oh. her because they were her trumpeting boys, you know, they were her sons yes. and they, I mean, they were on Johnny Carson, you know, they were very, now I'm doxing them because I'm very well known, but the yeah. ward and the, the bishop said, no, ask the stake president can't play trumpet. Stake president said, no, luckily they were connected. They, they rode it all the way up to the top and they literally asked, I believe it was president Monson who said, yeah, go ahead because oh. of are. and but but the fact that you have to do that when the yes. family wants to do something meaningful that you know means something to the person who's passed and also the people that are there. And of course, you know, we don't have connection to the top. We had things we wanted to do for like my husband's mom's funeral, and you just say no, you know. And and I feel when you go to a funeral that's more of a tragic nature, of younger death or something, it's almost like I've been to a couple where they don't even really address the person or what happened, you know, you, you leave going, I, I don't even really know. I don't know what, the, you know, th there's just these, everything has to be a spiritual experience. I don't know. There's just, exactly. I don't, and especially, I don't know. I think it's a question that a lot of post-Mormons talk about a lot now that everything, like you said, is wide open. I love your trail analogy. It's wide open right. when it comes to what happens next and how do we celebrate and what do we think? Some people are fearful. Other people are more, I feel much more relaxed. I'm in that camp about it. Come what may, right. you know, I feel much better, but but yeah, the idea right. that you just can't know. So this, when I heard about your celebration of life, I just thought this, that, you know, because I love earth, wind and fire. I have told my kids, I want that playing in my, I have two requests yeah. for my funeral. The first one is that earth, wind and fire is, is played. And the second one is when they carry my casket out, my boys have to say, this is so light. Is she even in here? <laughs> <laughs> I joke about Mom that all so the time, tiny. but I, <laughs> she's just so light. No, I joke about that all the time. I don't know if they'll really do it, but, but, you know, just yeah. a celebration. That is it. A celebration exactly. of people that you know and love. And so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful concept. So, but we do, we all think about I, it now in a different yeah. way, I think. And I, I like that Rebecca, because you're right. If, because he didn't have anything besides um, a, a childhood more or less. Yeah. Um, then, and also, I mean, he was in the school system. The beautiful thing about the ADA, uh, is they are, you know, children with disabilities are allowed to stay in the school system until they're 21 now. So, uh, we had just moved just a few months before he turned 21. So all of a sudden his social world just came to a stop right. overnight and he would wake up in the morning and he would say, bus, bus. And I'd say, no bus, dude, no, no more. Bus. It's just you and me, you know? And so that that would have been, as you say, uh, the funeral would have been completely uh, about celestial marriage, mm -hmm. eternal mm -hmm. families. Uh, he's no longer in his disabled body. Yes. He's now with Jesus. Yeah. And I'm like, um, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm okay not knowing. Mm -hmm. And people will say, well, think of him. I had somebody on the Facebook say, just think of him running into Jesus's arms. And I'm like, no, I don't want to think that. I don't need to think that. And, mm -hmm. and speaking of tattoos, this was my, my last tattoo that I got and it was for him. And it says, I am because you were, and that's all I need to know is that he, how he served our family, how grateful we were that he was with us. And I'm, I don't think there has to be a story behind why mm -hmm. he was given to us or we were his parents or he came to earth for this in this horribly disabled body. I don't need to know any of those stories that we tell ourselves to make things make sense for me just to be grateful for what we had and to be comfortable knowing that um, I don't know where he's at. Well, I know where he's at. He's in a urn out there in our family room is where he's at. But, you know, and I move and I love that. I love that he's still with us. Yeah. So that was what we chose to do. In fact, I told my husband, because as I said, he's, he's pretty old school. 
And so when we did our, our will, I said, I want to be cremated and I want TJ to be cremated. And my husband's like, well, I, I feel like I need to get buried. And I'm like, we're well, going to be out there by yourself. Just want you to know that. <laughs> you know, he goes, oh, let me think about that. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I don't know. He might be changing his mind, but yeah. It's amazing that, uh, you know, what what's written in a handbook somewhere uh, dictates how you are, even though, you, you know, if you were Japanese, you really don't have a choice to be buried. You're going to be cremated. And yet that's fine for them. So it's like, why would God say one culture, this is not acceptable? And the other, you know, it, it just seems absurd that we have to follow whatever some guy in in, in salt lake writes in a book <laughs> that's and it's very specific yeah. the handbook is specific yeah. oh, yes. with every little detail about you know the kind of funeral and how you can be buried or how you can't be creamy i mean it's that handbook if you read that that just really tells you uh oh, my dog is exactly. jumping up here so Lynn, well, I, and I, I think no i was gonna say i think too that says a lot about my personality why leaving the church was not a problem because when both my girls were married um, they both had people, um, her, my one daughter's husband, no, no members of their family, um, were members. And then my second one, there were some members that weren't, you know, both of them had beautiful ring ceremonies. Uh, we turned in some, the, the bishop was, they walked down an aisle. There was a bishop that was willing to say some kind words where they exchanged their rings. And I had other people that were like that. You can't do that. That's you can't do that in the handbook. Nothing should be done that would take away the sacredness of their temple marriage. I'm like, yeah, well, that's not happening because I didn't have the wedding that I wanted. These guys are going to have <laughs> yeah. the wedding that I wanted, you know. And so that was that is my personality all, all, all the time is where I would look at it and go, well, that doesn't make sense. So we're not going to do that, you know. Wow. Um, but there were other it. things. Even that, then, you were owning yeah. it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. No, it's a huge thing for post-Mormons. I think just the traditions and the ceremonies in the good book club, we read um, Carl Sagan's daughter, Sasha Sagan. I can't pull the book out or everything will fall down probably, but it's a book <laughs> called For Small Creatures Such as We. Do you remember the rest of the title, Landon? Finding Meaning in Tradition in a, anyway, it's basically about secular traditions. Like what do you do now? Wow. Anything. You can do anything. And so wow. in our book club, we even created kind of a, a grid where we started sharing the the different things that we did. Like somebody would say, oh, when a new baby's born, we do this, or we've decided to do this at the solstice or, and you can do anything and it, whatever's yeah. personal to you, whatever you care about. It's like the world is open. There's no handbook telling you, you can't, you can make it up yeah. if it works for you. So, I mean, some people find that maybe scary, maybe at first, but once you really get into it, you realize you can just create your own existence like that. So we've had a lot of fun making up new traditions and, yeah. and, and yeah. life and death and everything in between, you know, everything. Exactly. I always thought Landon, your idea, Landon's had a couple grandkids born just in the last uh, year. And, you know, he and his wife are thinking of, you know, what, what do we do? What do we, yeah. How do we mark this? You know, and he came up with, why don't you tell him a little bit of some of your ideas that you guys came well, we, up with? We like, uh, we like exploring in Utah and you, you go to all of these, uh, rock, uh, formations from the, uh, Indian, uh, the, the past native Americans and they put their hands on the wall or their feet, uh, uh, and, and make those marks. And we thought, wow, what if we can find a wall where we can do that and just start putting the handprints as the, as the child. So you kind of make a yeah. migration to Brophy wall or whatever we're going to call it and, and <laughs> yeah, mark the baby. Wall. Yep, so. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it's so funny because when you yeah. think about it, there's so many other things people have traditions over where they go on vacation or mm -hmm. traditions of Christmas morning or where they go on Christmas Eve or what they do for New Year's Eve. And they have no problem with those traditions. They, hey, in my family, we have ham everything, you know, or we only have pot roast on, you know, those are fine. But then we say, well, what about making up something for a celebration of life? Or like you said, the birth of a baby, right. they'd go, oh, uh, that, that's not in the handbook. We can't do that. Yeah, like, to be a blessing. Yeah. All right, tells <laughs> yeah. you how to do it. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
That is yeah. our <laughs> a rule for everything. Yeah. That is true. Exactly. Okay. Well, yeah. And we, you, uh, Renee sent us some pictures of the celebration. So we're going to incorporate them into this uh, presentation. So you guys will be able to see some of the things she was talking about and some just beautiful pictures of her and her son. Just, just such wonderful moments. Those pictures Thank were just you. incredible. I love those. So, so why don't you tell us what's next? What's coming up? What is the future? <laughs> like you said, well, you don't you care. Know. You're just going, but what are you yeah, working on yeah. next or? Well, I do have, I have my podcast, which I, I just want to make it successful and, and, and really a service to women and, and get their stories out. But I did warn my poor retired husband um, that I'm going back to school in the fall oh. um, because I said, you know, I, when I got out of the Navy, I had the GI bill. Landon, did you have that as well? Or I, I went through still... our ROTC scholarship. So mine was paid okay. up front. Yep. And then I had to okay. pay back. <laughs> ah, that's very good. So I had the GI Bill and I started going to school. And then I was pregnant with our oldest. And after I had him a week after the summer semester. So he was born in June. I got my finals done, had my baby. And then I thought, well, I'll go back in the fall. And I started going back in the fall, but he was one of these babies that cried from seven o'clock till 10 o'clock every night. Mm -hmm. And my poor husband did that like two nights and was like, ah, you know, so I just said, I'm going back. You know, I've taken a class here and taken a class there. And I, I just started back into school um, and our grandson came to live with us. So it's like, God, what is up with this? You know, <laughs> so we, we took care of it. Yeah. So he was my first uh, experience with dropping somebody off at daycare before I could go to class. And that was an experience. Yeah. That's um, rough. <laughs> yeah. It's so always I nice said, when the, uh, when the more mature lady at the class comes in and says, I just dropped off my kid at yeah. <laughs> daycare. <laughs> daycare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I've just got a few credits left that I just, I'm like, how long will you hang on to those credits? It's 46 years too much. Can you just, you know, hang on to those a few more? Do they and I'm gonna, I'm, And this is interior design. Is that right? That's what I thought I- Well, that it. was my associate's degree okay. is interior okay. design, but okay. I think I'm going to go a different direction. Oh. Um, I'm kind of done with the design part, but um, I don't know for sure what I want to. All I know is I can now. I can, I, my schedule belongs to me. And um, so I, I just warned my retired husband, who now is like, this, this is a time where you and I can do whatever we want. And I said, that's right. And that's probably not going to include a golf cart in my scenario. So <laughs> I've warned him, you know, there might be a halt on some of these adventures that you think uh, we're going to go on. I have, I have a backpack and a school bag, right? I'm... <laughs> Actually, I've got different yeah. goals. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. That is really exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has just been amazing to talk to you. I mean, just everybody Thank just, you. you know, check out her podcast. She became visible. Literally just Google her. I'm, I'm you'll find oh. all the other amazing things. <laughs> Seriously, just get to know Renee. She's a wonderful, amazing person. And we just are so so happy that you talked to us today. Do you have any final thoughts, Landon? Or She is very visible if you do search uh, on Facebook. Yes. Um, yes. I found pretty quick and a lot of a lot of cool pictures and different things that I yes. found. So but it was it was great to get to know you and especially to hear about your celebration of life. What a wonderful yes. thing. And hopefully Thank get you. some of our people, some of our listeners thinking yes. about what what am I going to do at that yeah. point? Because right. I think so often everything's already been planned for you. And now mm -hmm. you have to step back and say, well, it's planned if I go with the flow. But if I if I want right. something different, I can do that. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, even going back to Oregon, we, we went back to Oregon for his celebration of life because that's where he graduated from high school. And those were the people that knew him, the people in Arizona for four and a half years. They really didn't know the real little mm -hmm. boy. Uh, young man, I guess I should say. Um, so we we were able to go back and do that. We didn't need a bishop's permission. Uh, we didn't need to have anybody's a stake president tell us you can't go outside of the ward to hold a celebration of life. And so we were able to even even that was not regulated by an outside person. So but did you have funeral potatoes? Because that's always the question for Mormons. <laughs> no, and actually on the way 
to the the event space where we held it, I said, "Oh, I should. I like funeral potatoes. We should have <laughs> had some of them." <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's the last thing post Mormons hang on to. They're like, you know what? I'm letting it all go, but dang it, those are actually good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, now we're all hungry for funeral potatoes. I don't even know where you there can There you go. Except for you have to make them yourself. Yeah. So anyway, Landon, Renee, and I are going to sign off and go make ourselves some funeral potatoes. There you go. Or at so, least oh, twice a week. That's as close as we can get. Yeah, That's right. That's it. So, oh, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Landon. And thank you so much, Renee. It's been incredible. We'll sign off for Mormonish today. Um, Everybody keep joyful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.